And welcome back, everyone, to yet another edition of Going for Two, presented by Homefield Apparel. I am your host, the publisher of the Extra Points newsletter, Matt Brown. I'm joined here by my colleague Brian Fisher. Matt, Brian, how are you? It's good. To, it's it's been a couple of days. It's been it's been a, a a weird last five six days. Our, a lot of routines have been broken, but. I'm glad to be back and I'm glad to see you. I'm I'm sure you're glad to be back. I'm, I'm just uh, dying to know what uh, what you ended up eating there in New Orleans. <laughs> I, I know it was a, a terrific trip for you. And, and I, I know you don't get out to watch much college basketball game, but you're kind of spoiled there with those kind of games uh, that you saw there at the Superdome. I was super I was super spoiled. Um, I, uh, I I think I think that one of the big regrets is I didn't have a chance to really leave downtown. I wanted to, you know, to go back to to uptown, the Garden District, and, and you know, see, see the old neighborhood. And we weren't able to really do that, unfortunately. Uh, but I had multiple delicious po' boys. Uh, I had some red beans and rice, which is, I think, an amazing thing to eat halfway through the serving for you. Remember what an absolute sodium bomb that it is? <laughs> Just proof that I, you know, I'm, I'm getting a little bit older. Um, you know, I, 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 we had some pretty good Mexican food uh, that you know, which is not typically what you think of for, for New Orleans, and 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 you know. Uh, a major reason why I was there wasn't just to watch the basketball games, which I'll, we can talk about here first, but also to, to do some to do some reporting and some coverage of a lot of the actual basketball coaches convention. Um, it's it, you know, it, it's funny right, right from the very beginning. I because I was kind of a late addition to this this team. Um, the flights from Chicago to New Orleans for most regular carriers were exorbitantly expensive. So I went on like, you know, the, the, the spirit, the little mega bus of the sky kind of thing. So, and you know, we're leaving at 530 in the morning on Thursday. And who are the kind of people that are going to be on a 530 a.m. flight? Division three basketball coaches. So it was like me and every little school, in Wisconsin and, and, and a, like central Illinois that I had never heard of before. Now I had, we all, you know, we got to talking when, because, you know, we'd all been triple caffeinated to, to function there at that point. Um, let's talk, let's talk about the basketball first. Cause you're, cause you're right. I, I don't normally watch a, I don't think I watch as much regular season college basketball as you do. And I don't even go to that, to that many games in person. Um, I sure, I sure picked three really good, well, three really good ones to see, right? You got, you're in there with 70,000 people. You have, um, what have to, has to be one of the most emotionally cathartic moments for a North Carolina fan. And a really good until maybe the last 45 seconds or so national championship game. Like it was, it was really cool to see, to, to see that in person. And I'll, I'll say this, and, and maybe, I don't know if you've had this experience or not. Um, I don't get to watch a lot of college sporting events as a civilian, right? Normally when I'm at something like this, even if I'm really enjoying it, I'm, I'm usually in a press box or at least for, for part of the game. I might I might watch part of the game from the stands, but I'm usually going to be there. And in the closing seconds, I'm thinking about getting to interviews. I'm thinking about filing a story, and I'm thinking about dumb reporter stuff. It's not very often that I get to sit there in the stands and uh, have a beverage if I want to, and you know share my personal feelings maybe about uh, one of the coaches or teams that are that are playing there and, and and experience the whole enterprise as a regular person does. I think that that's a valuable thing for us to do every now and again, just to remember what it actually is like, why we we were interested in this profession in the first place, and what the experience is like for people that that aren't you know interfacing with this as a profession. Like that, I think was a very valuable experience. And now I'm trying to think, uh, at least on a non-soccer front, what might be my last game that I've actually watched from the stands. Because you're right, it, I, I do do tend to get stuck in the press box and like not only having to worry about filing, you know, right at the deadline, which I, I usually am responsible for. Like yeah. you, know, you file the game right at the deadline as, as soon as the, the score goes final, which is always stressful too. you know, you're writing a couple times, you're, you're trying to hit and then you're trying to run down to get to get quotes. Uh, it, it is definitely uh, I, I know I, I love our job. We, we get to go all over the country yeah. we get to see great events like this but there's there's some stress in, involved in that job and in those final few minutes uh after the score is gone final you know you got to hit publish on something and, and hope that it's coherent and can tell this kind of story of, of what you just saw unfold um that, that can always be a little bit tough but you're right it, it is uh certainly a good reminder of of that fan experience which i think nowadays more in more than ever really um you know folks are kind of understanding hey we we got to make sure that the concession lines are short we got to make sure that uh 
there are enough restrooms and, and that they're clean. We got to make sure that the concession options that you go out, not just having some decent beers out there for for uh, those that uh, might want to get uh, a little lubricated, but like, you know, the, make sure that the prices are right. Make sure that it is a family, uh, you know, event for, for a lot of these uh, sporting events as well. You know, I think the the whole fan experience, um, you know, it used to be just uh, you'd chat about Wi-Fi and all that. No, no, it, yeah. it's, it's about that moment when you're in the game, um, you know, and, and really the times in between the action that I think a lot of ADs, a lot of a lot of people around college athletics are, are kind of revisiting uh, right now. And so uh, you're right. It, it is a, a helpful reminder to go do that. But uh, it also helps. Right. When, when the when the games are that good, uh, like you ended yeah. up seeing this weekend. It was it was excellent. I think uh, speaking of fan experience, I, I, let me just speak on one thing here. Maybe this is controversial, but I feel like in, in that vein, I need to get this off my chest. I have a lot of deep affection and affinity for the city of New Orleans. It's a great place to host championship events. Superdome sucks. And the Superdome sucks specifically for basketball. And like the, the, the big reason is um, 71,000 people or 70,000 people, whoever many were there for like the Duke Carolina game, is too many for a college basketball uh, facility. Like we, my seats, um, you know, thankfully, were pretty close to court level. I think I was like the 105 section, but I'm, I was near an end zone. And that meant that my view was partially obstructed because of television equipment and bandstands and other things. And when you're looking at a court from like a 40 degree angle, even if you're relatively low to the ground, I watched probably, you know, at least two thirds of the game on the television, on, like on, on the, on the projector, just because you don't have death perception and the corner of each court is, is, is obstructed by other things. Uh, there's a lot of places in that stadium where the sight lines weren't good and the acoustics are not great when it's that big. Uh, especially, you know, for a, for a game like this where you're going to have the it's, uh, Carolina fans on one side and the Kansas fans on one side. So it never really gets loud. Like my my, one of the, the, my experience at that Grand Canyon game with 5,000 people was significantly louder as like the experience. Maybe I don't know. I wouldn't have a decibel checker or whatever um, than the national championship game was, which feels a little stupid. And if we're being honest, like the Superdome – the the concourses are very narrow and it's not really built to have that many people in, in, in that kind of setting. Uh, so you are your your nose is shoved up into somebody's back the entire time you get up out of your seat. The prices suck. I, I mean, like the, the 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 pricing for the tickets dropped enormously for the championship game. You could have gotten into the, the, the North Carolina, Kansas game for twenty five bucks, which is pretty great. Um, far cry from these, you know, six hundred, seven hundred dollars that you were seeing for the the final four, but thirteen bucks for a hot dog, you know, twenty bucks for a beer, eighteen bucks for a beer, uh, and, and long lines and everything like that wasn't a good stadium experience. And like I was as as I was thinking, like I'm really glad I got to be here uh, as somebody who is predisposed to not really like Duke and a lot of the things that 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 Duke basketball stands for. Was it cool to be there and, and be around a bunch of Carolina fans? So, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Was it a great – was was it a, a good I, – I think the fan experience honestly would have been better, even though I know the NCAA would never do this. Because you play the games in Smoothie King, an actual basketball arena, and then you said, we're going to open up the Superdome. It's going to cost 8 bucks, and you guys can all watch the game on the big screen. Um, and then the actual game will be in front of 23,000 people or something. You know, maybe – not dissimilar to what the women's basketball tournament ended up doing, right? Like you're not playing that when the Viking stadium and you, and you could see like, you, you know, they had, they did this in Lawrence. People could go into the arena there and watch it. And a lot of people were there. I, I imagine they did it in some of the other, some of the other, the other campuses. So I know with the NCAA, it's got to have that ticket money. I, I, I know it's a cash grab. I know that that's what they're doing for the future final fours, but it's not really fun. And if, if what you care about is the best possible view of the action, you know what I mean? I, I completely agree. I mean, I, to start with, yeah, I, I have not covered a basketball game at the Superdome, covered many a football games, been been for a Super Bowl, been, been for uh, the college football playoff national championship uh, just a couple of years ago. And uh, the thing that always struck me about it was, was yeah, even even in football, you know, you, you can be way far away from the action there. And I, I can't, can't even imagine just being in person for a basketball game because, uh, you know, the sight lines are what they are. I, I just I wish the NCAA, you're 
right would get away from having these massive stadiums. I, I understand they, they want the ticketing revenue, but in terms of the experience, uh, you like you mentioned with the women. I mean, I, the women's final four, that was just an awesome, awesome sight to see, uh, you know, there at the Target Center. And like, uh, I think you can replicate that on the men's side. Yes, you, you would lose out in terms of the number of fans, but they play the NBA finals at normal arenas. You know, it's like, you know, like, wh- why is why does why does the final four have to be special and play being played in these football stadiums? And, you know, tr- truthfully, I think it would also open up um, some new avenues to where the NCAA could kind of explore to take the final four. That, that would be fun uh, to kind of look at uh, some some alternate uh, venues instead of going to the, the regulars in, in Houston and uh, certainly in, in Arizona with their stadium. And like it, it's like you, you kind of get trapped in the, in this vicious circle of, of, of football stadiums that, you know, you're going to go to every couple of years. I, I wish they would kind of break out of that never going to happen, I guess, in the, in the near term. But, um, you know, ultimately, I, I think it, it's it's always interesting because it's against the trend. Right. You know, I think for, for a lot of college athletics now, it's maybe downsizing, making sure that the the experience is better. Artisanal so small batch college sports. That's what people are doing more. Right. And then this is this flies in the face of all that. Yeah. And, and yeah, it, it probably is a money grab thing, but like you, you just wish that they, they would go back. I mean, heck, the, the, the corporate changes they've made these last couple of years, I think it, nobody is really a fan of them. Like, like look at the, the freaking logos, right? Like I love the uniqueness of some of those old final four logos. You'd see them on t-shirts, you'd see them on uh, yeah. sticker. I'm sure you have a few pennants in it back there or, or not uh, that uh, might have a, a unique final four sticker. Like that was kind of the, the cool part of the final four, a, a little local flavor. And now it's all kind of just the same. And, um, you know, I, I wish they would kind of bring that in more beyond just like uh, changing the colors, depending on what city you're in. Like uh, we, we get it. You know, it, it is March Madness, but it would be nice to kind of have, um, you know, a, a little bit of that local flavor, a little bit of uh, certainly a, a, a nod to the fan experience. But uh, let's face it, this is a, a television product. Uh, I'm sure that the powers that be in Indianapolis just like the fact that uh, they can say, oh, we, we had 70 plus thousand people here for this event. And uh, certainly the, the revenues associated with that. But uh, maybe maybe one day, maybe down the road, uh, a, a new president will come in. They will they will uh, supercharge and, and focus on things because, uh, you know what, those, those TV media dollars, they're not going to stop growing anytime soon. So uh, maybe if you take away from from one area, you can kind of get from the other. Maybe, maybe that will end up happening down the road. Yeah, th- th- maybe this is something we'll try to actually bug somebody about later this summer. We could add that to the list of wonderful PDFs of great ideas in college sports reform that remain PDFs. Um I did want to kind of briefly talk about something else. The the, the actual reason I was there, besides um, watching a couple of Kansas basketball games, right, is is the the this, the basketball coaches convention, and there there were a lot of these seminars where you are combining assistant coaches and head basketball coaches and athletic directors, and sometimes you have people from apparel companies, and sometimes you have there was there's some conference staffers that kind of came in and out, and this was this was this was really useful for me. You know, one, to meet a bunch of people that I've only been texting or Zooming with. And I think it, it's nice for people to, to you know, kind of put a face with the name and like, OK, yeah, Matt Brown owns real pants. And, you know, he can be professional in person. And maybe I could talk to him about something, which is, you know, that's that's that helps make the newsletter and the show better. But I think there were also some very candid conversations about the actual process of hiring a college basketball coach. I wanted to talk about a couple of the major themes from that. This was something I would have written about had my hotel had working Wi-Fi, uh, but it didn't. What are you going to do? Um, I think some of these, I think, run counter to what you might expect and certainly a, a conventional fan narrative for how this process works. So one thing that I think became very clear to me after you know sitting in on tables and listening to, to mock interviews and, and case studies is that I think most fans – would believe that the person who hires your basketball coach is the athletic director and that the, there might be some, you might have the search firm suggest some candidates and maybe they might help, you know, run in, uh, run, do the initial phone screen kind of thing, right? The initial zoom. But ultimately the athletic director is the person that has overwhelmingly the most hiring authority. And like, that's the, the main person here. And all we heard from time and time again, that's not really true. It's true in some places, but it's, uh, I, at, at the best case scenario, I would say here, uh, a lot of different stakeholders are involved. That includes the university president, who quite frankly often has concerns independent of who is the best coach to the extent that anybody can even define that because you can't exactly predict it. The university president might be concerned about budget. 
They might be concerned about the presentability of this coach with donors and with boosters. There may be political implications. There may be uh, concerns or the, the president may be interested in, in uh, personality fit, ideological fit in a couple of different ways. The search firm uh, plays often a very significant part, particularly if the search firm is the same search firm that placed the athletic director or maybe place the university president, or or you know th- there there may be some obligations to go with uh, individuals there. In a couple of cases, I don't think this happens quite as often as people think, but it is a factor. The uh, uh, your apparel company may have a voice in, in some of, in some of these conversations, depending on on how on, on how they're aligned. And it is not uncommon for an AD to say, "I've interviewed six people." And based on my knowledge here of working with coaches, I think candidate X is the best person for this job. And the other people in the process say, that's cool. We're hiring candidate Y. And you, the athletic director, um, you need to sell it. And if that's, if candidate Y doesn't work out, I still might file you. It's your ass that's going to get fired. Like you're the person that's in charge of making this work, but it wasn't actually your decision. This tracks with what you had understood before too, right, Brian? Absolutely. I mean, I yeah. think we, we've talked quite a bit on the show about alignment and, and that is so huge in these coaching searches because, yeah, you, you got people pulling from all these different directions and, and the higher profile the gig, I mean, the more people tend to try to get involved with the search. And and look, you know, you, you didn't even kind of mention some of the, the uh, kind of boosters and, and, and alums that uh, might just want to you know, conduct a search on their own. You know, that, that has been known to happen, especially at uh, a couple schools uh, in a certain conference footprint. I mean, look, you know, th- this is the whole thing about making sure sure that everybody is on the same page. It's difficult to do, especially given the com- compacted time frame. A lot of these hires have to be made. You know, you're, you're like, we, we got to get a guy in in the next week or two after making a decision to fire a coach. And yeah. if you haven't done some of your homework beforehand, you know, you this is when you can kind of get into trouble because, yeah, you're right. The president might want something. Uh, your chairman of the board might uh, want something different. Uh, you got, um, you know, various people that uh, in, inside your own athletic department might, might have different opinions on you know what the ultimate direction of the program needs to be. Um, you have agents that uh, obviously are, are getting involved in terms of either shying away, you know, some of their clients from certain jobs or kind of encouraging others uh, to take it that uh, they might have a relationship with. So it, it is a very complicated process. But I think, uh, you know, we, we've also also talked uh, quite a bit about, you know, in terms of diversity as well. Um, this is kind of a big factor as well, because uh, some of the people that are not having the right input in this process, you know, they, they don't have the diverse background that I think, uh, you know, the coaching community is, is certainly looking for. And that's uh, has led to some friction. And I think is one thing I know a lot of coaches w- would like to have either more transparency, you know, in terms of a lot of these processes or, uh, you know, at least uh, more, more input um, from those, um, you know, that, that are ultimately making the hire. That is exactly right. And that's part of where I was going with this. Like, I think it's very important for fans to understand that this isn't exactly a meritocracy and you can be a successful assistant coach or a successful head coach somewhere and for you know, you might only honestly get hired at eight Division One jobs because of all these other things here, regardless of what you're doing on the court. And if the timing doesn't work out for those gigs or some other weird ex- thing, you know, the thing happens, you don't move up. And somebody who is connected in the right ways or you know is the right face at the right time, uh, who might not actually be as good of a coach. And if you put get a couple cocktails in the athletic directors and presidents, they might agree with you. That person's still gonna still gonna move up. Like I, I, I as an example here, I don't want to use the, the individual's names, uh, but there I, I sat in on a, uh, you know, a case study and a couple athletic directors were, were speaking pretty candidly. And one of them said, you know, listen, part of my job in these hires, because I'm at a, a lower resource institution, is risk management. So even if I believed that a assistant coach who had never been a head coach is the actual best recruiter, X's and O's mind and, and, and best uh, at developing relationships with athletes, I would be inclined to not hire that person who has the higher ceiling because it is easier for me to manage my risk with somebody who sits in the head coach's chair. Because what so much of a division one head basketball coach does isn't about basketball. Some of it is about NIL. Some of that, a lot of it is about fundraising. A lot of it is CEO kind of stuff. A lot of it is working with the university and academic and, and, and apparel and booster and all these other kids. There's a lot of, you know, it's a lot of shaking hands and kissing babies kind of thing. And you may not know what you don't know as an assistant where you might be more responsible in just doing the basketball stuff. So the, you, you're going to hear people say like, that matters a lot. 
And this is important from a DEI perspective because college basketball does a decent, not a good enough, but a decent job of getting black men and black women involved as assistants, which you would expect given the player pool of, of, of the sport, where we see a big issue. And this is true in college football. I'm sure it's true in other sports, too, are, are getting uh, men and women of color to move up from assistance to the head job. Uh, and, uh, you know, some of that is is due to unequal access to social connections. Some of that, if we're being keeping it a buck, is due to honest to God racism, uh, even if the president, AD and everyone else is on board because of the white guys with money uh, aren't don't feel like they're going to connect with this person or if they're not in the right country club fit. That can matter a lot, especially if you're a place that's really indebted to 10 or 11 people cutting big checks for athletic department. That's a thing. That's the thing in college football, too. But another thing is, is literally about having exposure to the right skills necessary to impress somebody in an interview to be able to move forward. And so now there's a couple of coaches that listen to this. But you know, this is something that, that came up a lot is this idea of making sure that assistant coaches have an opportunity to develop executive management and executive leadership when they go up. Because like if you're an assistant, ultimately – you need to be the best assistant you can possibly be, right? The, the thing I heard a lot of ADs and even some head coaches say is you got to lead from the seat that you're in. Just like, you know, I, I might be able to provide advice or or talk through things, but I, I can't run the D1 ticker enterprise. That's not my job. My job is to run extra points and to do a couple of other you know, things kind of behind the scenes. But if you're an assistant or if you're a graduate assistant or a dobo or somebody else, you want to start you know, asking what are processes or things that I can own or make my thing. And as a head coach, then you got to think, what can I delegate? So somebody else is, you know, okay, you are going to own operations. You're going to own our travel stuff. You're going to, you, assistant coach, you're going to start speaking to the media sometimes. You're going to write some of the, the, the advanced scouting reports. You're going to talk to the coach sometimes. And some coaches are really good at that. And some, I know that I think that the pejorative term that I learned was the guy takes up so much control over his program and his assistants are clappers. Because all they can do is just sit in the sidelines and clap. Right during a game, they're not the ones talking to, to players. They're not the ones drawing anything up over timeouts. I think we see this in college football too. Right, you can see winning college football coaches that have large coaching trees, and you have some that win a lot of games where that doesn't. And no one's trying to hire their assistant coach because they know that that person isn't really involved in the functionality of of that program. And that is, I, I think as head coaches and the rest of the ecosystem becomes more aware of that, that might actually help some of these um, coaches of color do a better job when they get into that interview because they've, they've, they've had a chance here to, to develop more of that skill set. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's it's very different too in, in between basketball and football. I think football, you know, I think everybody can kind of see just because there's so many, just the numbers are different that uh, you can kind of see you you have to delegate. You, you do have to say here, you know, here are my corner, here's my cornerbacks coach. Here's my defensive coordinator. And if you're an athletic director, if you're going through the search firm process, you know, certainly they are able to kind of pull things that that are very specific to that. Less so in basketball, you know, it's, it's like, uh, I, I know some assistant, you know, will, will run practice, you know, like that, that kind of insight on terms of how somebody is, is running practice as an assistant and how that can translate as a head coach, you know, most ADs are not kind of getting that insight. You know, maybe, maybe there is a, a personal connection to where they can, they can ask around about, you know, how, how does this guy do things? You know, yeah. how do they operate? Um, you know, that's certainly valuable information if you're a search firm and whatnot. And, and that's something that tries to get, you know, conveyed in the interview process, but it can be difficult to kind of parse out, like you're saying, uh, ultimately, where is that dividing line in terms of responsibilities, in terms of just kind of day to day uh, between an assistant, between multiple assistants on staff and their head coach. And so I think that that's why, you know, certainly basketball is uh, probably a little more difficult to conduct a search and try to find that right fit. Um, as I, as I'm sure you found out at the consortium there, but yeah. like in fo football is a little bit different just because there, there's a lot to, you know, of, of a lot of movement. Uh, certainly there's, there's a lot of, you know, responsibilities that are divided up just to, by the nature of the game, less so in basketball. But uh, I think the, the important part too, is just when you get into that interview process, and, you know, if you are, if you are a coach, if you are an assistant, um, you know, how many times, we we known either known people that uh, you know would make a great head coach, but you know just they're just not great interviewers. And uh, when you're yeah. speaking with college presidents, who you know, let's face it, they are coming from a different background. Maybe they're biochemist or, or whatnot. Trying to connect with them on, on a different level uh, is is way way more difficult than say connecting with an 18 year old that you're trying to recruit, right? And so yeah. uh, translating that can be a challenge, and, and it certainly allows for some coaches to not not get the shot that they probably deserve. Um, 
um, and, and others, you know, to probably kind of get ahead uh, just because they are good in those settings that they can kind of make up for things and, and learn a little bit uh, once they ultimately get into one of those head coaching gigs. The the Will Muschamp principle, right? Like, <laughs> and 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 whatever you could want to say about Will Muschamp's results on the field, I think it's pretty indisputable. This is a guy that other coaches and other administrators and people within this community who have gotten to know him as a person, they love this dude for for whatever reason. He presents very well in, in that world, and that's why maybe he gets an extra year or an extra opportunity. That judging just when you watch on television, you would say. That doesn't make sense to me compared to maybe some other individuals, right? There's like I had briefly worked in staffing before I got into into this gig. So you know, some of this advice is stuff that I think I would have taken for granted. Like, hey, even if your initial interview is over Zoom, you should wear a tie. Um, I, that would have I wouldn't have needed to be told that. But if you've never had a job outside of coaching um, and your you know your wardrobe is is just uh, is, is gym shorts and polos and with with logos on them. Maybe you need to be reminded about that. There's there's some, there's there's some norms in um, on the academic side of the institution that maybe aren't the same way at the basketball court. So this 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 this, this was a, I think a useful experience. The, the last thing, and I think fans are aware of this as a concept, but it, I think it, you know it bears repeating uh, again. Fit is really important, and that, that's true for every uh, every job. There are so many people who are good coaches. But a good a good coach might go into Pepperdine and might go into St. Louis and might go into Merrimack and have very different results because those are very different places. And it's the same thing for anything else. Right. Like it is a blessing. One of the I I just turned 35. One of the really great things about being in your 30s um, is I think it is easier to really be comfortable with who you are. I am not old. But I'm too old, I think, to completely reinvent myself in, in, in a certain way. Like, listen, like I know I uh, am somebody that is, you know, I'm going to wear new balances. I own Hawaiian shirts. I like messing around in the garage. Y'all know my sense of humor. I know the kind of social situations where I'm comfortable and where I'm not. And th- that means that, you know, there are other jobs where even if I know how to write and be successful, I'm not going to function very well in that environment. Uh, you, you know, I... I that this was this was the big problem I had when I moved to New Orleans, right? I did not have cultural competency of the community where where I was where I was going to. I didn't know anybody in Louisiana. It was really hard. Uh, I know other people feel that way when they come to my neck of the woods and they realize, oh, wait a minute, humans need vitamin D to live. They don't have that here. I want to walk in front of a truck. Like I, that's a thing, and that's a thing in this world here too. You can't just necessarily plug and play people who know how to. Uh, teach pick and roll principles and how to connect with 17 year olds, institutional fit, geographical fit, ideological fit, fit between your bosses, just like with literally every job is a big deal in college sports. And that's true for athletic directors. That's true for coaches, dobos, the works. And, and look, you know, you're at the final four. What better example than, than those coaches right there? They, they've taken yeah. very different paths, but you can understand that they are kind of the, the complete package. You know, you can understand, you know, Coach K, you know, for, for, for all the people that, uh, you know, dislike how he runs his program. He understands, you know, how to get that entire enterprise, you know, moving in the right direction. He understands how to take advantage of things like working with USA basketball and to kind of think ahead of how can that hurt, help my program uh, when I'm coaching NBA stars in the Olympics. You know, he understands certainly the X's knows you, you get that uh, you know he's, he's out there grinding watching tape uh you know before and after games and, and after wins and losses you know like in, until midnight uh plus you know so so you understand that he still got has that x's and o's background you understand why you know jay wright certainly has that uh just you know can walk into pretty much any living room and, and try to connect with kids uh when he's recruiting them and, and obviously he's you know understands the fundamentals of the game like you know making sure his kids know how to shoot free throws at, at clutch moments you know there 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 are things that uh, these big time coaches i mean even even you know look at who Davis obviously he came from a you know he was he was a broadcaster right you know I, I think yeah. uh, a lot of folks uh, understood that uh, he was uh, on you know on college game day and uh, certainly doing a, a, a big thing but he, he he put in the time he put in the effort to, to sit there next to Roy Williams not only recruiting kids and, and making those connections that uh, you knew uh, an electric personality like like Hubert has uh, would, would translate uh, on that front but he also learned how to how to coach he learned how to motivate his guys and uh, certainly the, the payoff was you know leading leading his team to the national championship uh, as an eight seed in his first 
first year. So, um, you know, th there are a whole lot of paths I think that you can take and um, really for ADs and everybody looking for one of that next generation, one of those new guys. I, I think it, it is, is a difficult, difficult challenge nowadays um, because there is so much on, on the head coaching plate. But for those that do go into those interviews prepared that that can uh, not only connect with, uh, you know, multiple multitude of different just kind of personalities, but understand that they they have to have a game plan on NIL. They have to have a game plan in terms of player development, um, you know, how they use the portal, how, you know, it, it's a difficult job right now. It's getting more yeah. difficult uh, given everything that, that is going on with the NCAA, but uh, finding that right fit and, and making sure that uh, uh, for, from a coaching standpoint, that the institution is also aligned with what you kind of see in that program. Um, you know, that, that, that's a big thing nowadays. And, and I think it's going to be fascinating to see a lot of these other, the other searches uh, play out. You know, we, we do have some big openings. You understand why Seton Hall went with somebody, uh, you know, who, who's an alum, you know, to replace Kevin Willard, Willard there uh, coming off a, a big NCAA tournament run as well. So like uh, you kind of, you kind of get that. Th those are the easy searches, you know, right. But it's when you kind of got to go out outside of your comfort zone, when you really kind of got to turn around a program and, and you're in the Mac or you're in the, the WCC and maybe you're not the most well-resourced institution trying to find that right fit uh, as a new head coach. Uh, it can be difficult, but uh, the, the payoff, you know, is, is certainly there. And, and uh, uh, you know, a lot of these programs are, are finding that uh, this inexact science, um, you know, a lot of it comes down to just kind of kind of gut feel for, for a lot of these ADs. And uh, I think for, for the coaches themselves, uh, that's ultimately what uh, they kind of don't want to hear because sometimes uh, they might not get a job that way. Um, I want to quickly talk about something else in the great fit world. Let's briefly talk about our sponsor, Home Field Apparel. If you want to pull off a new great fit with some, with some officially licensed collegiate apparel that is comfortable and will get all of your friends, colleagues, and strangers talking in a, in a good way, check out our friends at homefieldapparel.com. They make uh, t-shirts, they make hoodies, crewnecks, uh, some sweatpants, all with the most unique designs in college athletics, most of them coming from the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, all of those like old logos that were buried in the yearbooks, buried in the school newspapers that your licensing department has forgotten. Homefield uh, has a bunch of nerds that sit around and look through all that stuff and find them and then put them on clothes that fit really well and are very soft and look great. Um, I'm wearing some Homefield stuff right now. I'm wearing my old Tron UCLA shirt. We got the fighting Gamecocks right there. Uh, I've said this lots of times. This is probably 75% of my non-dress-up uh, apparel, which then makes doing things like shooting Collegiate Sports Connect or going to conferences where you're not supposed to wear T-shirts all the time a challenge. Uh, Homefield, if you make sports coats, I will buy several. Uh, or or button-up shirts or, you know, ties, anything of that. Listen, I'm an idea man. I'm just throwing out some ideas for you. Um, they Homefield does not have every single school. But they have most of the schools and, and most of the schools that, that you would care about. The uh, big new season, big new Saturday season three just finished, including a bunch of basketball oriented institutions. Um, but you've also got the national champions uh, for both men's and women's basketball have shirts, a bunch of division two schools, a bunch of FCS schools. Chances are you're going to find something that you like uh, or a school that you have no attachment to whatsoever, which is just as good, too. Uh, you can save 15 percent off your first order. If somehow you haven't bought anything from these guys yet, which at this point, like, what are you doing? Uh, use promo code extra points, save 15%. And uh, if you are uh, affiliated with a university or an athletic conference and you're thinking, Matt, how do I get my stuff on this list? Shoot me a note. I'm at matt at extrapointsmb.com. I, I helped introduce a conference office, their old vintage IP to our friends in Indianapolis a couple of days ago, along with a couple of other mid and low majors. Don't let your conference rival get the cool stuff on the internet first and get adopted by a whole bunch of other college sports nerds. That would be devastating. You should do it first, in my humble opinion. So reach out to, uh, to me and I will connect you with our friends at Homefield Apparel. Um, Brian, I've had my head down uh, these past couple of days here. I haven't actually been checking Twitter. I haven't been reading newspapers. I, I literally just walked in the door like two and a half hours ago. Surely I haven't missed any important college sports news during that time, right? Oh, just just another Power Five commissioner calling it quits. Other than that, I think you're good, my friend. Uh, uh, of course. <laughs> in, case, in case you've missed this by now, uh, Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlesby has announced that he will be retiring uh, Brian, this is this is I know this is really great radio here. I'm professional. I'm a serious professional. Did he say when he is this isn't effective immediately, right? 
It is not uh, immediately. I think they're once they kind of have selected a, a successor, he will end up, uh, you know, sliding over and uh, making the transition. Usually these things tend to happen, you know, along the fiscal year calendar. So, you know, you would kind of expect uh, hopefully the Big 12 would, would have somebody in place this summer. And, you know, certainly by like July 1st, they would they would kind of transition out. That certainly happened with the Pac-12, uh, you know, in, in terms of that transition from Larry Scott to, to George Klyovkov. He kind of came in, shouted him a little bit and yeah. officially took over in, in the summer. I would imagine that a similar process is going to play out here. Um, you know, look, this this was kind of a move I, I think everybody expected, yep. you know, at some point. Uh, certainly Bob Bullsby has been around 40, 50, you know, 40 some odd years uh, in, in college athletics, longtime AD, certainly at, at places like Iowa and Stanford before taking the Big 12 job. And, you know, look, he's, he's kind of saved the league twice. And uh, he, he's he's got uh, some a, gr- a growing uh, family of grandkids. I'm sure he wants to spend some additional time with them. And uh, that was a, a motivator. I, I don't think anybody's truly taken aback by the fact that he's choosing now to kind of step away. You get a new guy in that can negotiate those media rights. You've you've obviously already had uh, some expansion, so you can get some of the new members kind of on board with uh, the new commissioner and, and ha- let them at least have some input, I'm sure, in terms of the process, um, because those, those college presidents and, and AEs that uh, are coming into the league really, you know, are, are not only meeting their peers for the, the first time at uh, conference meetings like uh, they'll have uh, in, in May uh, in, in Arizona, but, you know, they're also trying to uh, come together to find Find common ground. You know, they, they need to they need schedules. They need uh, a lot of legwork to, to happen over the next couple of years. And, you know, given the, the league is in such transition, you, you can kind of understand why Bob Bowlesby wants to say, you know what? Uh, you know, I made sure that we're on, on solid footing. We're, we're a member of the Power Five. There's going to be a new playoff uh, coming down the road as well that uh, the new guy should probably uh, kind of take over for me for in, in terms of speaking for the league. And, um, you know, I, I think it just uh, kind of Bob said uh, it's time and uh, it'll be interesting because uh, the, these jobs tend to not come open all that that often and yet uh here we are with uh, yet another power five opening yeah I, I i'm not surprised by the timing either i think you and i have even talked off air over the past couple of months that this seems to be a pretty natural point to do that let somebody else do the media deal let somebody else decide what the new membership is going to look like there's some big transformational questions you know that you are no longer in existential peril right like which which, which was a thing uh earlier this summer it's easy to kind of speculate about who the next person is. I've already seen a few names already thrown out there. Like it's easy to say this is, you know, Oliver Luck can come in. And I, I, I am not prepared to have that conversation right now. I think what, what I'm more interested in, I'm interested to hear what you think is what kind of skill set or expertise do you think would be most important for this league? And, and I ask that by saying, yeah, we could, we could look at the last couple of, of years. I've had several new commissioners come in that didn't have super deep college sports backgrounds not just at the Power Five, but even at the mid-major level too, I think it's fair to say there's a learning curve. You could be a great sports executive. This industry is stupid. Um, and and things that, you, that made sense in the pros, you can't do exactly the same way. But uh, I could definitely see the argument for, hey, the Big 12 is going to need to make all the money it possibly can. And so if you get somebody in there who knows a lot about uh, broadcast media, linear media, new media potential, I could see that being very attractive. Uh, Pac-12 seems to have some success bringing in an executive from not just MLB advanced media, but, you know, MGM and 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 the and the, the event space and, and that world, maybe that's an option. Maybe you decide, hey, um, it's really important that we keep our autonomy designation. We're blowing up Division One right now. Maybe we need a Jim Phillips. Maybe we need an insider's insider to advocate for us there on that point. If you're sitting here with these university presidents, what kind of skills do you think would be most beneficial for this group of schools in the in the short term? Yeah, I mean that that's going to be the uh, the the real big task for these these presidents, uh, not just uh, you know finding somebody that fits the league, which it, it, it's a unique league. Look, I, I I grew up in Big Twelve country. Yeah, I've been around since literally the beginning of the league. Uh, you know, going yeah. back to uh, the, those Southwest Conference days. And and look, um, you know, certainly the the changing membership is going to contribute to the outlook being changed. Uh, you know, this is no longer a Texas and Oklahoma show in terms of having that significant input on the commissioner for the first time in conference history. And so. 
how that is going to impact things is, is going to be unique. I, I think you you're you're right in terms of the new media rights, the negotiations, that sort of thing. That's going to be huge for the league itself because they uh, we, we had to navigate on uh, certainly to talk about those projections uh, not too long ago on, on this year podcast. And and look, if if you could guarantee big Big Twelve ads that they would basically be at or a little bit above, uh, you know what the, what they're currently uh, kind of sloped uh, projected uh, to, to get I, I think they'd sign up for that but getting that is is going to be a challenge for the new guy and yeah. um, having that media background having uh, the ability to sell uh, the big 12 as as an entity to ESPN to CBS to NBC to whoever is out there um, you know is, is obviously going to be kind of the, the the first line on the on the to-do list and uh, you know they're, they're batting third unfortunately they're, they're going to go behind the big 10 they're going to go behind the pac 12 which certainly has a unique light rights uh, negotiation coming up because they have even more on the table than than the big 12 does they're probably going to come up even behind the college football playoff when, when you look at some of the timelines as well so you got to factor in that as well and I, I think more than anything they need somebody that they can and trust you know i think that is a big thing that somebody that can bring the league together um to kind of shepherd them through uh what has been not only a rocky past 18 months or so for the league but you you can understand given all the seismic changes between the playoff between division one uh changing as, as well uh this year there, there's a lot to navigate for whoever is coming in and uh, having somebody that can pull baylor and texas tech and tcu all in the same direction as well as byu and cincinnati uh and ucf in, in these uh you know diverse uh schools that that are kind of up and coming uh it, it's going to be key and and i think it you, you could look at some past ad's that that could kind of fit that bill uh um, you know, I think uh, there, there's going to be obviously a lot of talk, like you mentioned, with Oliver Luck. Um, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if there there are some outsiders that uh, do have their name uh, kind of bandied about. But uh, look, you know, that that might be uh, a little scary if you're the college presidents, knowing that, um, let's face it, you know, the Kevin Warren hire and it's not been as smooth as uh, I think they would have liked, uh, obviously, you know, with the ACC going with uh, Jim Phillips, you know, that that is somebody who is, is you know, born and bred in college athletics. And still, he's had some some bumps in the road, uh, you know, transitioning kind of from Big Ten territory down to the ACC. So, um, you know, it, it, it's a challenge. You know, I think there are um, you know folks like, uh, you know, I mean, Ed Stewart uh, at, at the Big 12 office. I'm, I'm sure he's going to uh, put in for it for this job. That That's maybe an internal uh, name that uh, could at least uh, transition things as well. Uh, alongside Bob Wolsey, or maybe you just kind of want a clean break with the past in terms of uh, th that conference office as well. I think that could be another strategy these presidents are, are going to end up taking. It, it just it, it makes for anytime you have these executive searches, um, it just it makes for a fascinating process. And it not only kind of tells us about where the league is heading, but really tells us about what the league wants to be. And, and I think that that's going to really inform uh, the search. That's the big question, right? Because, like, uh, you know, I, I've, I've joked about this a couple of times. Like, the, you know, I, Brown's gr – my grand theory of conference realignment and of conference composition is as institutional, like, similarities decrease, if you aren't papering over those uh, differences with money, your odds of uh, dissolution or instability increase. And you look at this league now, it's a good sports league. Probably the best college basketball, men's college basketball league in the country, even without Texas and Oklahoma. It's right now, right this very second, probably a better football league in the Pac-12, top to bottom. Um, close. Uh, we, you know, we, 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 I've crunched the S&P Plus numbers. Like, it, it, there's not really a, a big difference. The, 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 the big issue, one, is these schools don't really have anything in common. You've got two, like, enormous research-ish faith-based institutions and one kind of Christian school. And, and I say that like not as like they're not like authentically Christian, just like TCU has a more secular mandate than BYU or Baylor does. Like nobody like that's I, I wasn't impugning anybody's religiosity. Um, you have uh, land grant flagship state institutions. You have regional state schools. You have schools that were commuter schools a couple of years ago. You have uh, uh, schools that have been power schools for 70 years. You have UCF, which is. You know, built the whole thing on a credit card and kind of you know rocketed shit into, into space in twenty years, um, and those and they're, they're in three different time zones. They don't have a lot in common other than some shared history in in the middle of the country. Uh, other than we want to play sports at a super high level, they're going to have different needs academically, financially, uh, uh, broadcast wise, like athletically. So. Finding somebody that can, that can you know bridge all those gaps, I think, is difficult. 
to say nothing then of then shaping what is your league identity. And this is a major issue for Conference USA. I think it's an issue for the Summit League. I think it's an issue for some of these low major leagues right now. It's it's it's, it's, it's an issue in the whack, and I, I think they're kind of figuring that out right now. Uh, it's certainly an issue for the Ohio Valley Conference. So I don't know. I, I and I'm hoping to, to maybe spend a little bit of time, you know, making some phone calls, reading everything I can, obviously, to to, to, to learn a little bit more about what these presidents are thinking and, and what kind of names are in here. Um, I also think I'd want a little bit more time to do a proper retrospective on the Bullsby era. I understand that there are many fans of Big 12 institutions that think about him pretty negatively. Uh, first blush, I don't think that's entirely fair, but I don't think I've had a chance to like, you know, properly meditate upon that question to give like a, an impassioned defense one way or another. And just in part because we're talking about a lot of history, right? Like I, I don't, I don't think it would necessarily be to be, you know, fair to pin the guy's entire career off of something that Texas and Oklahoma did, you know. Although that's obviously part of the equation. I, I, I would agree completely, and, and I think we will dive into this topic a, a little bit later uh, on either a Collegiate Sports Connect video or on, on the on the podcast. But I, I would say, like, you know, you mentioned the league itself. I mean, these are a lot of schools that, um, you know, I guess from a fan base standpoint, you kind of have a chip on your shoulder. You know, these, these are not the flagship institutions like Texas and Oklahoma, you know, like TCU. They've been wandering the desert since the Southwest Conference uh, broke up, and then they finally get into the Big 12, and they've gone through the, these leadership changes, and, and they've gone through these um, – you know, uh, conference membership changes like it, it's been difficult for them to kind of kind of find their footing. Obviously, Baylor, everything that's gone on there, but they've kind of corrected things to where the uh, really they're kind of the, the gold standard at this point in terms of institutional alignment between uh, the athletic department, the, the school itself, their their men's and, and, and women's uh, you know basketball coaches and, and football coaches. I mean, they've they've got uh, some some long term contracts. They've got the facilities in question. Um, you know, Baylor's is, is a school that has changed completely over the last not only the last ten years, uh, given everything that's gone on on. on on their, their campus, but uh, really the last 20 years as, as a university. And uh, this oh, is yeah. the same, same as at Texas Tech and, and Oklahoma State, which is obviously you know entering a new era now with uh, not having their, their their rivals to the south and Norman there in the, in the same league. Um, you know, is that that's that's a unique thing for them that, uh, you know, they, there's been close ties, obviously, uh, you know, with the Sooners, given their proximity. But, um, you know, they're entering kind of a, a new era. And, uh, you know, a lot of these schools are, are kind of the same way. You, you go from Iowa State, you go to UCF, which you mentioned. I mean, that was a, a former commuter campus that has really had some aspirations to do a lot more as a, as a university. Um, athletics is a part of that. The, the same has been true at Houston, which has been trying to get into a league like the Big 12 for, for so long and, and, and put the money behind it uh, to do so to, to make sure that they're they're right there in terms of facilities and, and in terms of the the athletic department revenues that uh, they're going to come in and, and try to hit the ground running. It just it makes for a fascinating league. And, um, you know, let's face it, you know, outside of, uh, you know, once the SEC and and the Big Ten and Pac-12 deals, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of focus on ultimately what the Big 12 wants to be going forward. And whoever this new commissioner is, is going to play a big role in that. And uh, the, these college presidents, too, um, you know, they, they have their own ideas because uh, a lot of them are pretty pretty hands-on with athletics compared to a lot of their peers, not just in the power five, but um, you know, in, in their own States as well. So I think that is going to be another unique aspect of this, this search is that um, these college presidents, they, they not only know, you know, some, some folks that uh, might end up being connected to the search, but they're also going to definitely have their own opinions in terms of uh, what direction the league needs to go. This is a good point. Gordon Gee is the president of West Virginia. And you say a lot of things about Gordon Gee. You say a lot of things about Gordon yes, Gee. You can. definitely say a lot of things about those things too. He's definitely hands on with athletics. You know, Dr. Livingstone at Baylor, uh, I can't remember if she was a college athlete herself. I think she was. But she, women, yeah. OSU women's basketball, yeah. That's right. And comes from a huge college sports family, has been very involved with, with, with Mac Rhodes, you know, uh, and, and has, has clearly has influence on, on that part of the institution as well. I can't speak to the president at every school uh, in, in the league, but. You are definitely right. This is the I'll, I'll kind of wrap it up here on this. This search and where this league is going to be in four or five years, I think, has the highest like variance window, right? You know, we know the Big Ten is going to get a truckload of money. And even if they make some crappy hires, they have the money to buy their way out of those hires. They're going to be what they are, right? The Pac 12, it, it probably can't get a lot worse than where it is right now, which is not really especially nationally relevant in major sports outside of a, a couple of, 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 uh, of exceptions. But 
that has the potential to change that and and change and, and whether that's financially or athletically and, and and there's you know there's there's at least there's established brands there that we know have potential to do that. Big Twelve could there's a world where maybe they're the the, the maybe the, the maybe the best non Big Ten SEC league in some in some cases. You could see a world where it kind of falls apart in three years and it it ends up becoming the gentrified American athletic conference, depending on this deal and some hires and fits and potentially who they hire as their commissioner. I don't know how it's going to go yet. Uh, So this will be fun to follow along. We're going to continue to monitor this story uh, on this podcast on collegiate sports connect, which you can sign up for free and watch all the videos that Brian and I and our colleagues are producing every single day. You will be able to, you'll see this more on Extra Points, which you can, of course, subscribe to at extrapointsmb.com. You can subscribe for free if you haven't already, or of course, get a full subscription for just $8 a month. And uh, you'll be able to see what other people are saying across the internet on D1 Ticker, which is also free and a truly invaluable resource. And I'm literally, I promise you, I'm not saying that because they sign my checks. It is the only email other than my own that I open up every single time and i subscribe to a lot of newsletters they're all excellent sometimes i skip a couple a day or two i know you guys do that for me that's okay i write a lot i'm not offended i read the d1 ticker every single day brian what have i forgotten to plug i would just say that uh, conference commissioners as well ad's a lot of a lot of folks out there in the industry uh, also reading uh, d1 ticker and uh, that's why it's such a valuable resource but yeah you can find all the information uh, not only in terms of what's kind of coming on and going on the latest on searches like the the big 12 and uh who's who's up for certain ad gigs like that all that is definitely in the ticker but the collegiate sports connect videos are also in there uh which you know you have links to them where a lot of the work that we've been doing in terms of some of these newsy topics uh you know like the like the big 12 search uh, nil collectives we've done a lot on recently um you know there's there's some uh, some big time interviews uh, coming up with some ad's uh, that have won act ad of the year uh we've got some some more conference commissioners as well uh that are sitting down in in the collegiate sports connect chair so a lot of yeah. a lot of stuff coming over the next uh, couple of weeks uh, as we kind of transition away from basketball into the the rest of the spring sports and, and kind of hit the hit the ground running uh in terms of uh, closing out this uh, academic school year because um it, it's always interesting I, I was actually talking with somebody today just in terms of like this is kind of the the, the little lull right now you kind of have after the final four there's a bit of a lull obviously you know a lot of some folks might uh, be a little bit uh, interested in terms of like tax season and, and focusing on that but like uh th- there's there's a little bit of a, a lull right now i feel like on, on the sports calendar that picks up in a, in a big way for a lot of these campuses uh with the spring sports kind of closing out with graduation coming up uh in in six to eight weeks for, for a lot of schools as well so it's like get through this 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 is a little bit of push and and a great uh companion to that is, is certainly uh, extra points and d1 ticker yeah, a lot of ADs and conference leaders also read extra points. Uh, I am grateful for that lull. I'm I'm actually going to take some time off next week. We are, are I believe, are still planning on producing going for two. There's going to be some content on extra points while I'm out, uh, but you know, there, there, there's not really an off season in our world. This is kind of the closest thing to it. But we, we'll have lots of stuff for you to listen to, to read, and to watch. Um, thank you for sticking with us, everybody. It's great to be back. We'll catch up with you in a couple of days. Thank you.